You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Have you ever wondered how inbred the Habsburgs really were? What women in the past used for birth control? Or what Queen Victoria's nine children got up to? On the History Tea Time podcast, I profile remarkable queens and LGBTQ plus royals, explore royal family trees, and delve into women's medical history and other fascinating topics. Join me every Tuesday for History Tea Time, wherever fine podcasts are enjoyed. Let Mysteries at Midnight be your destination for detective whodunits and captivating mystery stories. You'll hear classic stories like Sherlock Holmes, Agatha Christie's Poirot, and short tales from H.G. Wells, Charles Dickens, Edgar Allan Poe, and others. I'm Christopher, and I read these classic stories in the soothing style of a bedtime story, so you can listen to them in bed when you drift off to sleep. Search for Mysteries at Midnight on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favourite podcast app, and follow and subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes. All right, quiet on the set. Camera speed. Sound production, take one. Action! Welcome to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. If you love old movies, Hollywood history, or the golden age of filmmaking, you've come to the right place. This is the podcast that talks about amazing stories of Tinseltown from another era. Hear fascinating conversations with writer-producer Steve Kubine, who quite literally lives just beneath the Hollywood sign, and actress-writer Nan McNamara. Now your hosts, Steve and Nan. Hi everyone, I'm Steve Kubine, and welcome to our very first episode of From Beneath the Hollywood Sign, where we'll take you on a guided tour of all things classic cinema and share great stories of old Hollywood. From Beneath the Hollywood Sign started as a blog about five years ago, and now we're hitting the airwaves. We're greatly enhanced by my lovely co-host, Nan McNamara. Hi, Nan. Hey, Steve. I have enjoyed your blog all these years, and I'm so excited to get to talk about it and let everybody else know about all the wonderful stories and details that they may not know about some of their favorite film stars and all things old Hollywood. Well, we're going to have fun and we're going to tell some really great stories. I do know that. And a big shout out and thank you to Kat and JG of the Box of Oddities podcast, as well as a big welcome to the Box of Oddities freaks and the Shallow End podcast swimmers. Welcome, everyone. I just want to let people know a little bit uh, more about you, since I've known you for 20 years. At least. Not only are you the savant, as I call you, (laughs) of all things old Hollywood, but you have quite a pedigree yourself in terms of your writing, your producing. You are an Emmy award-winning producer of the series Break a Hip. You are a member of the Directors Guild of America, as well as the Television Academy. You have worked with some amazing actors, including Bonnie Bedelia, Bo Bridges, Delta Burke, Olivia Newton-John. Oh, Olivia. As well as Allison Janney and Cheryl Hines and so many others. You've also written a novel. Is there <laughs> nothing you cannot do? Well, you know, you bring your own special insights to this show, too, and I'm very excited to be working with you on this. I mean, 
uh, for those who don't know, and you should know, Nan is a multiple award-winning actress of film, TV, and theater. You've probably seen her in everything from Hawaii Five-O to Lone Star 911 to Good Trouble. She's also an accomplished writer, director, and has voiced hundreds of radio and television commercials and nearly 300 audiobooks. Well, I think we're going to make a great team. Absolutely. I'm really excited, and I'm especially excited to dive into today's subject. You are going to be our true resource because you really dive into specifics that most people won't know about. So I'm excited to start this podcast, episode one, Oscar Fumbles. (laughs) Yes. And there's been many. (laughs) And there's been many. I love what you say that for cinephiles, the Oscars are... It's our Super Bowl. We all know it. It's our Super Bowl. (laughs) And we sort of, even after it's over the next day, we're sort of still thinking about Oh, the the water cooler talk afterward is epic. Exactly, exactly. So tell me just a couple examples off the top of your head where Oscar got it right, in Uh, your opinion. Well, you know, it's funny because everybody knows the Oscars are subjective. You know, everybody has an opinion and there's no, who who knows? It's so subjective. But when they get it right, it, it is like poetry. For example, when they gave Harold Russell the Best Supporting Actor nomination Ah. for The Best Years of Our Lives, when they'd already planned to give him an honorary Oscar because of his duty and his service to the war and what he brought to cinema, but then he won one competitively, that was just the apex of perfect. Yeah. And then also Geraldine Page winning for The Trip to Bountiful. I mean, was there ever a more deserving performance? Oh, I don't think so. She's an amazing actress. And she could have ended up one of those people that never won and is a is yes. a you know, such a such a star. Like Barbara Stanwyck, Irene Dunn, Myrna Loy, Cary Grant. I mean the the people that, that didn't win Exactly. The list is almost as impressive as the people who won. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's true. I think what we really We'll have fun talking about though. Is where Oscar got it wrong, and <laughs> yes. I have a few myself. But good, good, I, good. <laughs> I was so um, intrigued by your list. So, so let's start with um, oh. the the little the little bird. The little bird. Well, and it, it's it's my pet peeve of all times, probably with the Oscars. And I know there's people that are going to so disagree. We'll get letters on this one. We'll yeah, get emails. Yeah, yeah. But just the fact that the Academy gave two Oscars to Louise Reiner just chaps my butt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and most people may not even know who Louise Reiner is. Yes. So tell us, let's let's talk about the two performances that gave her sure, two beautiful sure. Oscars. Well, a, a little background on her. She was a German-born, Austrian-raised actress that Louis B. Mayer found on a talent scout when he went to Europe. And he saw her in a play, and he decided she was going to be the next big thing at MGM. She Because he was looking for the new Greta Garbo, Marlena Dietrich, that exotic type. And so he, for whatever reasons, and only Louis B. Mayer and God know, he decided it was <laughs> Louise Reiner. So he brought her to MGM, put her under contract. Literally, she... She could barely speak English, so he got her, you know, diction lessons. He threw her in eight movies in, in two years, and you know, she won two Oscars. Well, greatly because of his power and his influence, he basically, I think, made those happen for her. Right, right. Um, which you know, unfortunate because when you look at the first Oscar she won, it was the Great Zigfield, which she was she won for Best Actress. It was a supporting role. If anything, it just it really should have been a best supporting nomination. But Louis B. Mayer, with his infinite power, pushed it into the lead actress category. The other nominees were phenomenal. I mean, she beat out 
Irene Dunn for Theodora Goes Wild. Wow. She beat out Gladys Cooper for Valiant is the Word for Carrie. Carol Lombard, My Man Godfrey. Norma Shearer for Romeo and Juliet. Although Norma Shearer was 34 and probably too old to play Juliet, but... She was probably better than Louise Reiner in, um, you know, the, the Great Ziegfeld. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the second film, the very next year, we look at this and just are shocked. But yeah, yeah. The, the very next year, uh, it was The Good Earth, which, you know, first of all, she should never have been cast never, as you know never. the Chinese peasant girl Olan. I mean, we we know now. We look back on it. I think now with a a more um, evolved lens. I hope but, so. Yeah, but, you know, back in those days, I mean, they were taking actresses like Myrna Loy and Barbara Stanwyck and Helen Hayes, and they were literally putting yellow face on them and, and having them play Asians, which now we know is just horrible. Right. Well, that's what they did with her. But the, the real tragedy was they had the perfect, perfect actress to play um, Olan in The Good Earth, and it was Anna Mae Wong who was just the right age. She was an exquisite actress. She just would have been perfect. And she begged for the role. She, she wanted did. it so badly. Uh, she went to Louis B. Mayer and said, this is it. This is the role I was meant to play. Her, and he yeah. wouldn't give it to her. Wow. He just wouldn't. And the reason, some say, is because of the Hayes Laws, that she, as an Asian woman, couldn't kiss her co-star, Paul Muni, because he was white. And even though he, he was, was playing, even an though he Asian was in yellow face as well, playing Asian and shouldn't person. have been that wow. exactly, which to me is just so messed up. Yeah. So um, yeah, it just really you know, and if you look at the people she beat that year, she beat again poor Irene Dunn, who ended up never winning an Oscar. He he beat her which for is the, such a shame. The awful truth, which in my opinion is probably one of the best female comedic performances ever committed to film. Um, she beat Greta Garbo for Camille. She beat Janet Gaynor for the original A Star is Born. And here's the killer that this puts a slice down my heart is um, she beat Barbara Stanwyck for Stella Dallas. Oh, Stella Dallas. Another one of the films yeah. I remember watching as a young girl and thinking, who is that woman? And just the tragic image of her looking in the window. It just oh. makes me want to cry. Oh, I know. It's She's just... so brilliant. Yeah. She, I mean, to me, that was that was Stanwyck's year, and she got robbed. And, you know, she never won a competitive one. But they did give her an honorary Oscar in 82. I do know, remember that. Which was nice. Yeah. But still, yeah. Louise Reiner. Oh, boy. Okay. Oh, wait, the best part, let me just add a little, little coda here. You know, the, the, the part that just makes me laugh is how did Louise Reiner thank Hollywood for two Oscars? She literally said that Hollywood was this vapid, shallow place with little intellect, and she hightailed it to New York. So right. Thanks. thanks. Did, did she take her two Oscars she with did. her? I think it just is good for us now to look back on how far we've come since those horrible haze codes were around. And, you know, we, we've evolved so much as a as a as a race, as a, you know, as a, as humanity, but we still have a long way to go, but it is nice to know that we, we've come a long way. Amen. I agree. Hopefully we'll continue to move in the right direction. Absolutely. What's interesting is one of the other ones that you point out happens just a year later, 1939, often considered the greatest yes. year in, in cinema history, film yes. history. Um, so, you know, that was the year that Wizard of Oz came out, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, Dark Victory, and this other little tiny film called Gone with the Wind. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you may have heard of that. So tell us what happened. Well, it, that was an interesting year because, I mean, Gone with the Wind was a phenomenal 
phenomenon. There, there was never a bigger picture. It was, it was so popular. It was, and the book had been out, and people were waiting for the film, right? Enormous, and they cast the perfect Scarlet and the perfect Rhett in Vivian Lee and Clark Gable, and you know when Oscar time rolled around. The, the buzz was phenomenal that, that it was going to be Vivian Lee and Clark Gable, best actress, best actor, done. No doubt, yeah. Done. But, <laughs> you know, the only fly in the ointment for Clark Gable could have possibly been Jimmy Stewart, who was so good in Mr. Washington, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Yes, yes. So that was the only thing to worry about. But earlier in the evening, there was an upset when um, Hattie McDaniel historically and quite beautifully, in my opinion, um, beat Olivia de Havilland, her co-star, for right. Best Supporting Actress. So already there was a little, you know, buzz in the air about that, like w- what's happening here. It's not the way we thought it was going to go. Right. And then when it came time for the, um, you know, Best Actress, Olivia, I mean, uh, Vivian Lee won hands down. But then they went to announce Best Actor, and by God, <laughs> it was not Clark Gable. It was not Jimmy Stewart. It was Robert Donat for a little you know, small film that that wasn't on anyone's radar called Goodbye, Mr. Chips. Yes. Another tearjerker, I will say. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But no Gone with the Wind. Yeah, I was going to say, he was lovely and he was sweet he was. and it was also told in, you know, flashbacks and he got to wear old age makeup and he got to be sweetly sentimental, but it just wasn't Rhett Butler. No, it wasn't. <laughs> now, do you think that the vote was split again? Do you think between Gable and Stewart... Is that maybe why he kind of snuck through? I think possibly so, because that's an, a phenomenon that happens in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. You know, there's two front runners, and the Academy voters split their votes almost evenly between yes. these two front runners. And then somebody in third or fourth place can just shoot up the middle and win, which right. happened in 1950 for Best Actress when Judy Holliday beat, and this still floors me, she beat Betty Davis for All About Eve. And then, and this is the one that kills me. Gloria Swanson for Sunset Boulevard. Yes, yes. Two iconic performances. Iconic. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That, so, uh, yeah. And and All About Eve being one of the great films of all time. Oh, hands down. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's just, you know, it happens. I wonder what Betty thought of that. I'm, <laughs> I'm assuming she was... I'm sure she was not, not amused. <laughs> yeah, she was probably not amused. Yeah. Um, let's talk about, since we're kind of in this mode of knocking people out... You talk about a domino effect that can happen. And, you know, someone one year doesn't get it, and then they're nominated again, and then they get it for a role that they're not right for. So what are the actresses or actors where you feel that happened unjustly? Well, it's funny because it's it's all kind of connected. And it's it's almost like a a, a little stone can make a big ripple effect, you know, (laughs) if, if, you know, done incorrectly. (laughs) But, But the first example I think of is, you know, Ginger Rogers for Kitty Foyle. Um, you know, it, it was a lovely performance. Mm-hmm. It was soapy. It was a love triangle between, you know, this working class girl and a poor doctor played by James Craig and then this married adventurer played by Dennis Morgan, who was her true love. But ultimately she chose safe and, you know, but she won the Oscar. Well, there were better performances that year. I mean, I think most cinephiles would admit um, that that year should have been Joan Fontaine for Rebecca. One of the great, great performances. Oh, she's she's wonderful. And she was never better. And she's not one of my favorite actresses, but she was never better. She was so perfectly cast and she was so primed to win that Oscar. And also, you know, that same year, uh, Kitty Foyle, which was light and fluffy in my opinion, 
beat out some some heavy hitters. Beat out Betty Davis for the letter. Beat out Martha Scott for Our Town, which was a phenomenal performance. Beat out Catherine Hepburn for the Philadelphia Story. I mean, yes, Philadelphia I, Story. Yeah, and I know you talk about, and I and I would agree with you that comedic performances are not often yes. um, recognized, but. That performance, looking back at yeah. it now, I don't think any actress can ever be in that play, uh, you know, because it started as a play yeah. on stage, and not be associated with, oh my gosh, that's Catherine Hepburn's line. You can't say it. Yeah, <laughs> so that, it's just she made it, branded it her did. own. She did. That is a looming shadow to try to it really is. live in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really is. Um, well, the funny thing is about this particular year, which was 1940, when when Ginger Rogers won. The very next year, I think the Academy said, oh, crap, we should have given it to Joan Fontaine. So what do they do? They give Joan Fontaine the Oscar the next year for Suspicion, okay. which is a fine movie it and a is. fine performance. Yes. But here's who she beat out, who should have won. Either Barbara Stanwyck for Ball of Fire or Betty Davis for The Little Foxes. Both of those performances, in my opinion, were better than Joan Fontaine. I yes. think it was a... Oops, we messed up. Let's make it right, Oscar. Yes, let's give her what she should have had yes. last year. But yes. then that creates even more problems, right? It it does because <laughs> this is what uh, you know. It it kind of it goes back to the ripple effect we were talking about. Then that creates to me what I call the retribution Oscar. The you know, as I said, it should have gone to you last year, so we're going to give it to you this year, which messes it up for somebody else, and it just causes chaos. But I think the very first, what I call the retribution, oops, sorry, award, uh, probably went to Betty Davis in 1935 for um, um, Dangerous. She won the award, but she, they, I think they were really honoring her for the performance she did the prior year, which was one of her greatest performances. She played Mildred, the horrible waitress in Of Human Bondage. And there was such an outcry when she wasn't even nominated. There was a huge write-in campaign where they put in her name and tried to get her the Oscar, but it didn't work. So I think the next year, Retribution comes into play, and they give Betty Davis the Oscar for Dangerous. Not, not her best performance. You right. know, not one we remember, not one right. we really think about that much. So, you know, I think that's what happens when you get it wrong one year and you try to make up for it the next year. You still screw somebody. You, st- <laughs> you still do. And I think that also happens, too, with actors who are given Oscars not not for a performance, but because they haven't gotten one. And so they get, I think of Paul Newman, you know, a classic example. He should have won four times prior to that. And it wasn't that he gave a bad performance in Color of Money. It's just that there were so many other performances prior to that. Without a doubt. So I think it's time, Steve, for our Hollywood pop quiz. Perfect. Well, the question today is, well, it's a two-parter. In what year did they introduce the Best Supporting Actor and Actress Academy Award and who won them. And no fair using Google. Okay, the answer at the end of today's episode. And now, another stop on the Hollywood tour. Charlie Chaplin was an early regular at the iconic restaurant Musso and Frank shortly after it opened in the 1920s. Legend has it that Chaplin would challenge Douglas Fairbanks to a horse race down Hollywood Boulevard, which was still unpaved road, and the first person there would stick the other with the tab. Hey y'all, spooky season is here. And if you're looking for a show to whet your appetite for a little haunted history, then I'd like to invite you to check out Southern Gothic, a chart-topping history podcast that explores some of the most infamous legends, 
folklore, ghost stories, and hauntings of the American South. We've covered all sorts of stuff from the Bell Witch of Tennessee to the disappearance of the Confederate submarine, the H.L. Hunley, not to mention our deep dives into the local lore of some of America's oldest and most haunted cities like New Orleans, Charleston, and St. Augustine. So if you're ready for a little good old-fashioned Halloween storytelling with a commitment to quality historical research, then be sure to check out Southern Gothic today. It's available now on all your favorite podcast apps. Okay, Steve, going back to the retribution Oscar. It's happened a couple of times where they've gotten it wrong and they've given someone an Oscar they probably didn't deserve. And then the very next year, they give a performance that they absolutely should win and they don't give it to them. I think they feel like, oh, you've already gotten yours. Let's move on. And I think a great example of that is Gloria Graham. Okay, and Gloria Graham, just for people who may not quite be able to place her, I always think of her as Ada Annie in Oklahoma. Yes. The original Oklahoma. Absolutely. And It's a Wonderful Life. Violet. Violet. And what's that? The town floozy. That line she says about, oh, this old dress, I just wear this one. I don't care what I have on. She's amazing. She's an amazing actress. But the funny thing is, is, you know, in 1952, she did The Bad and the Beautiful, extremely popular movie, Kirk Douglas, Lana Turner, big, glossy studio film, you know, really promoted heavily. And she won the Best Supporting Actress Award. She was on screen maybe 10 minutes. Wow. She did a really bad Southern accent. And she <laughs> like was... I just did. <laughs> <laughs> but she was, she was fine, but she won the Oscar. She shouldn't have. <laughs> so the next, but the next year, which is crazy, she did one of the best film noirs ever, The Big Heat with mm. Glenn Ford. There wasn't a performance better that year. She wow. should have won the Oscar, wasn't even nominated. So I think they said, all right, sorry, Gloria. We, we, we gave you yours last year. This year, too bad. When the, the year she won Best Supporting Actress for The Bad and the Beautiful, Gene Hagen was robbed that year for Singing in the Rain. Absolutely should have won that Oscar. That is a comedic performance that of is... The, of, the, of all yeah, times, yeah. yes. And, but again, iconic. like you said, they, they're just not prone to giving comedians Oscars, right. which is too bad. <laughs> Dying is easy. Comedy is hard. Comedy yeah, is hard. Exactly. Here's one that I am uh, really puzzled by. And I know that she won the Juvenile Award for the Academy Award, which they don't give out anymore. But talk to me about Judy Garland not winning for oh, A Star is Born. Wow. That what one, a performance. That was one of the greatest performances ever. And again, they chose to give the award to Grace Kelly for The Country Girl. And I think it was because they were we were so used to seeing Grace Kelly in these fluffy romantic comedies. And she was lovely and a really wonderful actress. But she, you know, she took off the makeup and she wore Sears Roebuck clothes and she played this kind of dowdy woman. So they thought, wow, she's, she, you know, this is a real this is a real actress. For her. Yeah. yeah. And for whatever reason, they gave it to Grace Kelly. And I think it was a little bit of a popularity contest that year. You know, Judy, as we know, had her troubles and wasn't right. everyone's favorite and was difficult to work with. But damn, she deserved that award. Yeah. It makes me, this whole topic of conversation really... Um, makes me wonder in general about politics in terms of these awards. And, 
nowadays, you know, there's not a Louis B. Mayer, but there are all kinds of opportunities for studios to campaign, for actors to attend every single press junket or, you know, event. We'll never know how much popularity. um, Yeah. I think it goes back to it. It goes back to the, you know, just being subjective. You know, it's um, who knows why people vote the way they vote. Yeah. But yeah. we can still gripe about it. <laughs> right. Well, and there's another actress that I think everybody has a very um, specific image of in their mind, and they don't necessarily think of her as a great actress, and that's Marilyn Monroe. And when she did Bus Stop, I had no idea that it was her own production company that, yes, that produced yes. it. She. Um, it's so funny. I don't think anyone knew how bright that woman really was. I mean, she was ambitious. I think everyone knew that, but she... She was really, really smart, and she was a, the, a great purveyor of her own image. She knew what sold, and she knew what she was good at, But and she went along with it for a while. But I think at, at one point in her career, she just got fed up, and she basically walked out on her contract at Fox. She went to New York, and she began studying with Lee Strasberg, and that's when I think she really became yes. a real actress. And I think it shows in some of her later performances. Um, you know, uh, River of No Return, she, she's amazing. Niagara, I mean, it just goes on and on. Uh, Don't Bother to Knock, one of her early films, which I think really showed her as, as a true actress. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, she knew she knew what she was doing. And I don't think people really knew that. And so she was in the William Inge play, Bus Stop, the film version of it. And was she never even nominated? Never, never nominated, yes. It, which is, again, how could she never have been nominated? Yeah. Yeah, it, yeah, that one's a shocker. And I think it's, again, it was her image. You know, every they saw her as the sex symbol, and I don't think they equated sexy to talented. Right. Which was, you know, very incorrect. <laughs> it, very incorrect. There's also a situation where old Hollywood versus the new Vanguard comes into play in terms of someone missing out on an Oscar. Can oh you talk goodness. about that? Yes. Um, there's a sort great of example of that to me is, is The Graduate. One of the most groundbreaking, fresh, amazing movies of all time. 1967, of course, Dustin Hoffman, Anne Bancroft, Catherine Ross. It was just an amazing movie. And it really shepherded in, I think, a new age of movies. It really took people away from um, things that were more fantasy and uh, into really real gritty situations, but with a lot of humor and a lot of irony and a lot of you know funny stuff. And, and Hoffman was so good. He was just iconic as Benjamin, you know, the recent graduate who had no idea what he was going to do with his life until he falls into a romance with his dad and mother's friend, the older, sexy Mrs. Robinson. Right. And so, you know, there was a great chance that year at the Oscars to award that movie. Yes. And, and it, you know, it's funny because it won Best Director for Mike Nichols, but it, it didn't win anything else. And, you know, instead of giving it to... Um, Dustin Hoffman, which would have been really wonderful, they went back to old school. They gave it to John Wayne for True Grit, who, of course, was an institution and a hero and everybody And he hadn't won an Oscar yet. And it was one of those, I think, like you mentioned, Paul Newman, I think it was a case of this may be our last chance to honor him. Let's give it to John Wayne because he's John Wayne. And Dustin Hoffman is young and he's going to have more opportunities. And he did get more opportunities, yes. but it still doesn't take away from the fact that his performance, I, I really see a, a shift in some ways in acting style even. Um, that film wasn't the first shift, but it was part of that wave of, yes. as you said, gritty, real yes. performances that are very specific. And then, you know, on those same lines, you know, you had 
and Bancroft give the performance of a lifetime. You know, she'd won an Oscar already for The Miracle Worker, which she was phenomenal in. But then she brought Mrs. Robinson to life. I mean, we still talk about Mrs. Robinson. And can you do you remember the age difference between Dustin Hoffman and Anne Bancroft? I think they were seven years apart. Yeah, it was it was really not very much. No, was... Well, interestingly enough, they had originally cast Patricia Neal in the role. Oh. And she was all ready to go as Mrs. Robinson. And then she had her stroke. Oh, no. So that she was had a... to oh, bow wow. out. And then Anne Bancroft stepped in. And, and just, she was perfect. Just she was perfect. Let her perfect. Patricia but, Neal would have been interesting. Patricia but... Neal, I would have loved to have seen yeah, her do that. but Anne Bancroft. Well, and then, of course, they, you know, um, Anne Bancroft is nominated for an Oscar in 67, which was great. But, again, they could have given this forward-thinking performance, the Oscar, and Hollywood decided to award another old guard, wonderful Catherine Hepburn for Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. An incredible performance, a lovely sentimental performance, but nothing as cutting edge and fresh as what Anne Bancroft did as Mrs. Robinson. Yeah. It makes you wonder if there was some sentimentality attached to it because of Spencer Tracy dying shortly after the film was finished. I think absolutely. I think that's part of it for sure. You know, on, on another note, you know, Catherine Ross was Amazing as Elaine, uh, the love interest of um, of Dustin Hoffman, and the, of course the daughter of Mrs. Robinson. You know she was fresh, she was new, she was exciting. She was nominated for an Oscar for Best Supporting Actress, and then they gave it to Estelle Parsons for Bonnie and Clyde. And and she's great, but she just to me she was just so annoying. There was just something about her performance that just was like nails on a chalkboard to me. Didn't somebody shoot her in the head in that movie anyway? So <laughs> so maybe that's somebody should have. They did. I think they shot in the eye or something. I think like she that. did get shot in the eye, yeah. <laughs> I mean, not to take anything away from her. She's great. She but is. She's great. I don't know. I, I would have given it to Catherine Ross. Yeah. That's just me. I did get to see Miss um, Parsons in August Osage County on Broadway. Oh, and how was that? She was phenomenal. Wow. Yeah. She had just replaced the uh, actress who originated the role, and she was terrific. Wow. She, yeah. But I, I'm with you. Yeah. I, I, I totally, totally get this. Isn't it kind of cool that we grew up in an era where we were like the bridge between current Hollywood and old Hollywood. We were around enough when enough of them were around that we got to see them in plays and we got to, yes. you know, meet some, you know, meet them sometimes. Yes. That, that was, I, I always call our generation, we're the, the bridge gap people that right. really bridge old Hollywood with new Hollywood. Right. And hopefully can continue to give the message that you need to go back and look at these films. I mean, students that I've had in acting class don't know who people are. Yeah. They didn't even know who Carol Burnett was. I couldn't oh, believe no. that. You're yeah. kidding. You're yeah. kidding. No, me. that was tragic. Yeah. Can I share a couple of mine? I was just, just gonna ask. I would you. love to get your, uh, no, your take I, on I would love to hear your thoughts. Okay. The two that popped into my mind, one is kind of a domino effect, uh, ripple effect. In 1983, Jessica Lang was nominated for Francis for leading actress. And Meryl Streep was nominated for Sophie's Choice. And I loves me some Meryl Streep. <laughs> I would never take away any Oscar. I think she should have the probably queen. won more yes. than she has. And I think she's been, they've held back on her. So she should have won for Sophie's Choice. But I also thought Jessica Lang was exquisite in Francis. So vulnerable, so raw. She was also nominated for Best Supporting Actress for Tootsie. It was a very good performance. What abs? What abs on that? What abs? She was. She, she was, won she because she couldn't win for Francis because everybody was going to vote for. Her. You know, it's funny on those same lines. I'm just going to jump on this for a second, but there's been several instances where people have been nominated for a, a lead and a supporting Oscar, and they usually win 
one or the other. But the chain was broken in, and I forget the year right off the cuff, but when Sigourney Weaver was nominated for Gorillas on the, in the Mist, yes. and then also for Supporting Actress for Working Girl, she didn't win either. And, she didn't win either. And the funny thing is, is she said in an interview later that she turned to her husband at that moment and she said, well, I just made Oscar history. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and she's right. And she's right. She's the first one not to win either. And both of those performances were... Great. Were, yeah. Yeah, terrific. And she's never won one. Another one. And she's one. never won. Yeah. Hopefully, she'll, she'll, she yes. has an opportunity. My other issue with Oscar happened in 2019, and my husband will testify that I, when this person did not win, I sobbed. I broke down and sobbed. Wow. And it was, I thought, one of the finest film performances ever. It was Glenn Close in The Wife. And when you look at what film acting really is, and the actress that she is, I wow. just get goosebumps yes. even talking Me about too. her. She should have won. She should have won. She should have won. Now, Olivia Coleman did win. And that was a... Whatevs. Yeah, whatevs. <laughs> I mean, she's a great actress. She's a great actress. And she's <laughs> given, you know, many other performances. Yes. But for me, how could you deny Glenn Close? I know. Well, I'm was gonna, in her 70s. I'm and, gonna, I'm going to go back a, a generation or, or a few decades. I think she should have won for Fail Attraction. Oh, I think yes. that performance was so complicated and nuanced and, and uh, amazing. And and Cher was great in Moonstruck. But come on, it's Glenn. We're still talking about Glenn Close and Fatal Attraction. Yes. We're not talking about Cher and Moonstruck yes. anymore. Right, right. Yeah. And Glenn Close is is truly one of the great actresses of this generation. Who if still she, never won an Oscar. If she doesn't win one, I, I want to write something that, like, <laughs> you know, she could do. I know. She's, she's so so overdue. Yeah, so she, overdue. She really, really is. I think we've given our opinions of what where we think. Absolutely. We <laughs> and as we said, everybody has an opinion. These are ours. So, Steve, what is the answer to our Hollywood pop question? For our inaugural Hollywood pop quiz, <laughs> yes. the answer is the year was 1936. It's the first year they introduced the Best Supporting Actor and Actress Oscars. And they went to Gail Sondergaard for... Antony Adverse, and good old Walter Brennan for Come and Get It, which coincidentally starred Francis Farmer. Wow. And wasn't Gail Sondergaard going to be the original Wicked Witch in The Wizard of Oz? Absolutely. She was originally cast and they decided they wanted a more traditional witch and because they had this whole concept of her being a sexy, sequined, you know, uh, vogue like witch, and it just didn't work. So then they scratched that idea, they let her go, and they brought in Margaret Hamilton to play the old, ugly, traditional witch. Wow. And the rest is history. The rest is history. Well, this has been so much fun talking about the Oscars, but there is so much of old Hollywood and the movies that we have left to cover. So oh, we have lots to say. <laughs> we do. So thanks for listening today, and we look forward to you tuning in to episode two. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, we'd love to hear from you. Please email us at info at fronbeneththehollywoodsign.com. Wonderful. So that's this week's view. From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. You've been listening to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign with Steve. 
Steve Kilbine and Nan McNamara, the podcast that celebrates amazing stories of Tinseltown from its golden era. Join us next week for another episode and learn something else about Hollywood you probably never knew. Take a moment and give us a five-star rating and a positive review. And tell your friends about us, too. It'll help grow the podcast. Visit Steve's website at FromBeneathTheHollywoodSign.com. The executive producers are Steve Kubine and Nan McNamara. Executive producer and post-production supervisor, Lindsay Schneble. This podcast is part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit AirwaveMedia.com to listen and subscribe to their other fine shows like The Box of Oddities and The Shallow End with Schneble and Toth. Copyright 2023. All rights reserved. That's a wrap. Thank you.